Firstly, we're not on some vague journey of figuring out what God expects of us. If God was willing to meet with Cain and explain to him that he still had a chance to offer a proper sacrifice with the right attitude, then how much more will God meet with us and lead us and direct us? With this point, I suggest to you that if you are a Christian today, you do not have to commit your time to studying the world's suggestions as to what is right and wrong. I fully believe that having the Holy Spirit living in and through us, through what Jesus did for us on the cross, we have the relationship with God that will lead us to know what is right and thus having a life filled with virtue. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Josiah. Um, really blessed to be here on staff taking over for the junior high ministry as Wimberly leaves. It's uh, big shoes to fill and um, I'm excited to get into God's Word tonight. Um, if you don't know me, feel free to ask me questions after Bible study, but just real quickly. Uh, I am married. I um, have been married to my wife for nine years. We have three kids and been in ministry for about four years altogether now. We started, my wife and I, in children's ministry, actually, when we first got married, and then actually pastoring junior hires, uh, which turned into high school, so it was like a junior high, high school group, in Maui for two years. Then we went to the CBI program out in Yucca Valley last year, and then now we're here. So it's like, over the last nine years, I feel like my life has just kind of like gone in a blur, and when I just break it down in like two seconds like that, it's like, whoa, where did time go? Last, last time I checked, I was like, you guys sitting in here in the Young Adults Ministry going like, what am I doing with my life? But uh, here I am now still asking the same question. What am I doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so hopefully uh, you're exhorted in tonight's Bible study. When Andrew asked me to, if I wanted to, I was like, what do you want me to teach on? He's like, teach whatever you want. I'm like, no, tell me what you want me to teach on. And he, even then, he didn't, uh, he didn't tell me what to teach on, but... Just following your guys' study through Proverbs, uh, I understand that you guys have been going through chapter by chapter, doing topical studies, just drawing out whatever the Lord has for you through Proverbs. And um, virtue was something that stood out to me from chapter 31. You read about the virtuous wife. And um, now more than ever, I believe the issue of having virtue in our life is important to understand what it is and walk in it. Um, So that's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to be taking a topical study on virtue as Christians in this world that we're in today. Uh, But before we get started, I want to pray, and then we'll get into God's Word tonight. So join me, won't you? Lord, thank you for this time just to be together. What a blessing it is to get into your Word and just to look at practical things, Lord, practical things like virtue. And uh, I pray that you'd bring clarity even to myself right now as I uh, just want to encourage these young adults uh, in their life with you, that it's not a matter of their own strength. It's not a matter of their good works. It's not a matter of of them on their own, but you come alongside them and you give them strength to to live this life that you've called them to of purity and of sober-mindedness and diligence and generosity and love. God, what a blessing it is that you make it clear. And uh, we just pray, God, that your word would be rightly divided and that we would draw encouragement from it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, I want to read to you a passage from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, Peter really breaks down like our responsibility of our relationship with God right there. It's a building block, if you can kind of see it. It's faith, and faith, you add to your faith with uh, virtue. And I like what the English Standard Version says about that. It says, supplement your faith with the following things, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and ultimately love. And what a blessing it is that he, he broke it down for us, because for me, I need bullet points. If I can see the bullet points, I can get the message, and if I get the message, then I know what I'm supposed to do. And uh, that's my goal for this evening, specifically looking at the importance of virtue. Um, uh, and virtue. When I said virtue, I didn't even know what I was getting into. I'm like, virtue, virtue sounds cool. I'll teach on that. And then I looked up, like, virtue is like Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and it defines it as the conformity to a standard of right morality. A second definition is a particular moral excellence. And I read that, I'm like, wow, that's very lofty. And, uh, you know, I believe these are two accurate definitions of what virtue is according to what the world says. The world may suggest to you that uh, virtue is based off of what is right and what is wrong. You know, you can get into some lofty conversations about that. For one person, something that is right might be wrong for another person, and what's wrong for another person might be right. And you'll get into probably a debate, and that's not good. Some may suggest that virtue is the conformity to a set of rules that clearly state what's good and bad. Again, you could get into that kind of conversation, and you'll ultimately get into some kind of debate. Others may suggest that virtue develops from the cause and effect of good or bad choices, which, you know, is true to a a sense, but really what that train of thought really leads you down to is you experiment, and you experiment, and you build virtue, and it's really not virtue, you're just kind of being careless. Some may suggest that the surrounding society or community deems a particular behavior or action as bad, and thus conflicts with what is acceptable. That which is accepted as acceptable develops into what virtue is for the individual and the community or the society. And, you know, I wrote that out. I'm like, wow, I don't even know what that means. So (laughs) I hope you're, you're encouraged by that. But these are all terms and definitions that uh, go into the topic of virtue as the world declares it or defines it or argues it. And these are suggestions and definitions that go way back as far as Aristotle and Plato Plato, <laughs> Plato, and uh, <laughs> guy's name, he didn't even know what he was doing. Uh, that goes back into Greek philosophy and ethics. Um, but again, that's just what the world defines it as. Some would argue today that virtue is not required. Some may argue that it's a blanket covering standard of expectation. Just a real simple one like that. Some may claim that it fortifies and builds a healthy society that people ought to be behaving a certain way in community and society. Others may argue that virtue is not necessary for a healthy society. Now, I thought about this. I'm like, I'm used to junior high. I, don't, I like to get other people's ideas about things, but I understand that there are different views and opinions about this subject of virtue. And I thought it would be a good idea, and then I instantly thought, no, that would be a bad idea to get everybody's idea about it. So if you want to talk about it afterwards, we can. But uh, what I suggest to you tonight is that we as Christians have the opportunity to know what virtue is according to what the Bible says. The Bible clearly dictates to us how we ought to live, like Peter did. 
there's a clear definition of how we ought to live, and that's what virtue is. It's not the blanket statement, you know? What might be a good thing for me to do for my family may not necessarily be for another family. How I, how I treat people on the road definitely is, uh, exemplifies my virtue. Uh, and I want to be a kind, generous driver, you know, let people go in front of me. Even though it's not part of my character, I don't like that. But uh, we, we struggle with it. But the Bible clearly does exemplify to us uh, how we ought to be living. Uh, how we ought to live, how we ought not to live. In such terms as disobedience and unrighteousness, these things um, we're introduced to. Disobedience and unrighteousness. These terms are encapsulated in the term of sin. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know we are uh, introduced to this term of sin. It's a joke. Obviously, we all know what sin is. But uh, you know, it's important that we understand uh, what sin is, where it comes from, and how we ought to be dealing with it. I thought it was important to go back to the very beginning of when the first term sin is introduced to us. So if you'd turn to uh, Genesis chapter 4 with me. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, I'm going to read a passage and then uh, try and draw out some things that we can uh, focus on as we learn about virtue. So chapter 4, verse 3, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And I'm I trust that you guys are familiar with that story. From that moment on, Cain had that decision. And in, instead of having ruling or lordship over his sin, he gave in to his, his anger and his jealousy. And when they were alone in the field with him, himself and his brother, he took Abel's life. Now we see how over the process of time, these men came to offer something to God from the work of their hands. Abel had an offering from the flocks he shepherded. Cain brought an offering from the fruits of the fields he farmed. Though they came to God to offer something, in Hebrews 11, chapter, four, or chapter 11, verse 4, we get the commentary that Abel's sacrifice was a more excellent sacrifice than Cain's. Now, commentators believe the reason for that was the fact of that Abel was offering something that required blood and thus was more concerned for the atonement of his sin before God. This comment is made because throughout the Bible, the spilling of blood is always linked with the atonement of sin. And it's suggested that, Pain, that Cain's was not accepted in the same way as his brother's was because he brought something that, he, that did not include blood, suggesting that he was not concerned about his sin, but may have just been offering something to God because he had to. The point of this in our study of virtue is that the Christian virtue begins with a concern for righteousness and desire to do that which is accepted by God. And that relationship with God of desiring to do which is right is seen throughout the whole world. You can see throughout the whole world religions that stir people up to do good things. Do good things, you'll get good things back, and you'll get good, and it'll, all things will be good. Um, but that's not what the Christian virtue here is. Uh, the Christian virtue that we ought to be living in is twofold. Firstly, we're not on some vague journey of figuring out what God expects of us. 
We may be directed by other people from other religions to do something, to do something, to do something, as if our works got something good out of it. But that's not what the Christian virtue is. And I suggest that to you because the fact that God will come alongside us and instruct us in the ways that we should go because he did that for Cain. If God was willing to meet with Cain and explain to him that he still had a chance to offer a proper sacrifice with the right attitude, then how much more will God meet with us and lead us and direct us? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, a, man, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. With this point, I suggest to you that if you are a Christian today, you do not have to commit your time to studying the world's suggestions as to what is right and wrong. I fully believe that having the Holy Spirit living in and through us, through what Jesus did for us on the cross, we have the relationship with God that will lead us to know what is right and thus having a life filled with virtue. To know to do good and not to do it, as James said in chapter 4, verse 17, that's sin. To know to do good and not to do it, that's sin. Now, this relationship with God as it pertains to virtue should give us the confidence and the boldness to walk in what God is leading us to do. Now, I understand you guys are young adults, and you guys are like blossoming into these adults, and you guys have a lot of decisions to make as far as your life goes. And if you're not considering your ways before the Lord and allowing Him to direct you, I uh, can attest or I can testify to the fact that you will be confused. You will not know what you're supposed to do. And uh, I want to encourage you. Commit your ways to the Lord. Allow him to direct you and show you the ways that you ought to go. Now, for some of you, God may be preparing you for a step of faith that you're not expecting. And that was, that was when I was 18, that was where I was at. I had no idea what I was doing with my life. I knew I wanted to be married, but the, the girl wasn't there. And then uh, I just gave that to the Lord. <laughs> I gave that to the Lord, and I said, Lord, if it's your will that I'm single for the rest of my life, uh, that's cool but I will that not for my life. So please, in your timing, provide me with a wife. And it was actually very interesting because just a few months after I did that, uh, my wife reached out to me over Facebook and we started talking and then six months later we were engaged and six months later we were married. And then 10 months after that we had our first child, which was like, wow. So steps, you're not expecting. God may be preparing you for that. Uh, perhaps it's a job or ministry that you, you don't want to do but know that you should do. And I feel like that, that's kind of like where we're all in right now, considering the state that we're in socially, nationally, globally. There's something that we ought to be doing as Christians, and it's to stand and to be bold for what is right in the world. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's kind of weird, and there's like agendas going on, and, you know, it's crazy. Crazy times we're living in. And God may be preparing you for a particular ministry that you know you ought to be doing, but you really aren't, um, for myself included. It's, it's something that we need to consider. Perhaps it's a conviction, conviction that God has placed in your heart and you're struggling to find the strength or you're struggling to actually justify that it is God and it's not just some weird thing. And you're struggling to actually cut that conviction out of your life completely. I want to strongly encourage you. Virtue will drive you to that point of, I desire to do what is right before God. And you will be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to cut whatever it is out of your life that's causing sin and conviction in your life. Now, summing up this point of virtue is the fact that you're not alone. Remember, Cain was in the field and he was angry and jealous of his brother and God met him and said, you know, hey, why is your countenance fallen? Just offer with the proper sacrifice. You're not alone. 
The second thing to note from the, the story of Cain and Abel as we attempt to understand virtue is that we have the choice to live with virtue or not. And I'm thankful for that choice because if we were programmed to just do what is right always, we wouldn't be any better than just a robot. And I'm thankful for that. And um, we have that choice. What a blessing it is. God lovingly gives us the choice to either walk in virtue or in, the, in, word, in other words, obedience to what he has called us to or not. This aspect of choosing to live with virtue as it pertains to the Christian virtue is something that we need to consider and uh, understand daily. And the world may suggest that because you have the freedom to choose things for yourself, that virtue is relative. That's not the case as it, as it pertains to the Bible. The conclusion to this is that you ought to experiment and feel free to just do whatever makes you feel good, and that's why it's not right. The Bible in relationship with God clearly demonstrates an understanding that walking with virtue comes from a right relationship with God. Cain obviously did not have a right relationship with God, did not respect God's counsel, and sadly that led to the murder of his brother. Now we who have submitted to the authority of God have come to the place that God may direct our steps in our lives. Now as he does this, Christian virtue will develop through time, and the desire to do what he has called us to do will grow. Having the loving choice to commit your day to God will lead you to the victory over sin and temptation. Now with that said, I, again, I just want to testify to this fact. As I've grown in the Lord, my desire to do what God wants me to do has only grown. And I trust that, that you guys have the same relationship as well. When I was first saved, I knew I had to just like be good. And I quickly found out that just that desire to do and to be good was not uh, possible in my own strength. And that leads us to the next point. Understanding that Christian virtue is based on having a desire to be right with God, perhaps you have been trying your best to please God based upon your own strength and your own best works. However, somehow you end up being defeated by Satan and you fall to sin and temptation. That was the state that I was in when I was first saved. I quickly fell back into the old ways and knew that I was grieving the Holy Spirit as I fell back to my old uh, sinful nature. Now, I suggest to you that anything that we try to do and to be as it pertains to adhering to a high standard of morality, which is like the beginning steps of relationship with God, and basically the, world, the way the world describes it, we will always fall short. Paul talks about this sort of issue by calling that high standard of morality the law of God in Romans chapter 7. Paul takes on this issue by stating the fact that every person is held to God's high standard of morality and that we fall so incredibly short to it that there really is no hope apart from what Christ has done for us on the cross. Now, thankfully, Paul didn't end that chapter right there. He's just like, there's no hope for you. You're all dead to sin. There's no hope. Beat it. Get out of here. In Romans chapter 8, Paul explains the hope that we have as Christians. It is Christ's work upon the cross that brings us to right standing with God. And because of that, what Christ now does in and through us is what le leads to a life filled with virtue. Now the point here is that if you're trying your best to please God out of your own strength, you'll, you're going to fall short. Uh, you must daily reckon yourself dead to sin and alive spiritually in Christ Jesus. And it's his strength that will grow you and manifest into a life of virtue and of awesomeness. Um, now, just practical manifestations of virtue. We're going to get into Proverbs chapter 31. So if you'll want to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31, 
we're going to look at just practical manifestations of virtue. And, you know, manifestations is just really just what it looks like practically. And uh, my desire is that as we look through this chapter in Proverbs, we'll be able to get a clear view of what God really does desire for us, what he created us for. Beginning in verse 1, we see who's writing. So let's read verse 1. It's King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Now it's suggested that King Lemuel was like a nickname for King Solomon that was given to him by his mother Bathsheba. Uh, But that's the detail. It's kind of like, cool, awesome. You know, how does that apply to our study of virtue? Well, uh, moving down into verses 2 and 3, it says, What, my son, and what, my, what, uh, what? Just kidding. Sorry, I got a little mixed up. What, my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Whoa. No, that's okay. Um, Really, I think we all are adults, and we can see what is being spoken here. It's the desire for purity. Men ought not to give the, their uh, strength to women. And you, you look at David's real fall with Bathsheba, even. Don't give, don't give in. And there's a stand for purity. But as, a, as we focus on virtue, um, not necessarily looking at that particular sin of, of giving yourself over to sexual immorality, but rather looking at a broad sense of God's desire, God's concern for purity in his children. The concern for purity in relationship with God is something that you see throughout the whole Bible. Purity. First of all, looking at how God desired pure sacrifices from the nation of Israel. It's said uh, that even a scab, a broken leg, or an oozing eye would disqualify a sacrifice from being offered to God in the Old Testament. In Romans, in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul calls us to be living sacrifices unto God. Now, if we're children, if we are Christians, we are no longer our own, but Christ, uh, sorry. If we are Christians, we are no longer our own, but God's children redeemed through bl- the blood of Christ. For that reason, we will desire a life that is pure and undefiled unto God. This desire for purity in, the, in your life comes from the virtue that God gives through the redemption that Christ made possible through his death and resurrection. Now I want to pose to you this question. If you know that something is defiling you, should you stop? Yes, Yes, definitely. Now, something that may defile somebody else may not defile you. That's not some, it's uh, one of those classic situations of the plank and the, the speck in the other person's eye. We need to render our relationship with Christ to him and really do the things necessary for us to walk in purity unto God. For some of us, like myself, I cannot have social media on my phone. I will spend way too much time on it and I will neglect my family. And in other words, neglect the ministry that God has given me. And if I'm doing that, I'm not walking in purity. Aside from all the things on social media, it's just so dangerous, I don't even want to deal with it. I want it so far away from me that uh, it's not even a temptation. And I, that's just my own uh, personal exhortation. Uh, but for you guys, I want to strongly encourage you. If there's something that you know is not right and it's defiling your relationship with God, feel free to cut it out. You know, it's no big deal. It's a good thing. And God will bless you for it. And that is virtue. And it comes in time. The next, in verse 4, 
It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. The manifestation of virtue in verse 4 is like purity, but more of on a social level, I believe, being sober-minded. Here in this scripture, it is specifically talking about being sober from intoxicating drink so that the king could clearly remember the law and execute justice. And I'm not going to get into the whole conviction of alcohol because we're focusing on virtue. I understand that there are a menagerie of different opinions about it, but focusing upon virtue, I believe God's more concerned about sober-mindedness. And sober-mindedness really takes... Um, really manifests itself in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4 real quickly with me, I want to read something to you that Paul exhorted that early church. It's an awesome exhortation, especially for us in our day and age. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. No, 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking truth and love may grow in all things and in him who is the head Christ. Now, <laughs> I know I don't have social media. I just explained that to you. And there's a reason also for that in the sense of we're being bombarded with different information. There's a, so much going out of different opinions different things like that, that it's easy, like Paul said, to be swept up and carried away by the trickery of cunning craftiness, of deceitful plotting. And I believe that we're in a time unlike any other time. The Nazis had a great move, but their time ended. We're in a fresh time where the, the plans have been revised. The execution of those plans have been uh, happening. And it's important that we're not getting swept up in it. And that really comes from that word sober-mindedness. We're not allowing intoxicating thoughts to come into our minds, questioning our relationship with God, questioning if He even exists, and allowing those things, those agendas or whatever you want to call them, to come into our minds and lead us astray. It's important that we understand that the sober-mindedness that comes from a life of virtue will protect us from being led astray from the Word of God. I want to suggest that to you and pray, hopefully, that you are being a wise steward of what you're putting before you in your mind, that you're taking in correct information, the full message, not just a person's opinion about it. Now, reading on through the rest of this chapter, you'll find the glorious description of the virtuous wife. And I remember being single and young and reading through this and going, wow, that's what I'm looking for. I am looking for... The woman whose worth is far above rubies. I'm looking for the one who goes out and makes a trade and considers a field and buys it. And uh, the husband is like, cool, man. Thanks. It's great. <laughs> let, me just, let me just encourage you just on that fact. You know, I believe there's a couple different uh, suggestions as to who uh, the author is describing. But I believe, just real, like basically, this is a woman who's lived a full, solid life. This isn't something that, like, you are 18 years old and you're like, I am the virtuous woman. <laughs> I don't believe that. You are all just works in progress, men and women included. You guys have so much before you, and you're not perfect, and uh, it's a work that God does in and through your life. 
However, we, there are things that I believe that we, both men and women, can read through this and glean the value of virtue from it. Uh, basically, I just want to get a context of it. And the three, there are three basic uh, interpretations of the following description. Some suggest that the virtuous wife was Bathsheba's description of the ideal woman to marry in the nation of Israel. So Bathsheba's like, look for that girl, because it'll be a blessing to you. Others suggest that it was a description that Solomon wrote about his mama, Bathsheba. So like, some suggest that Solomon was writing about all the accomplishments and things that Bathsheba had done in her own life. And others suggest that it's a prophetic description of the bride of Christ, which would be us. Now, the three suggestions as to who or what the author was writing about is not really uh, relevant to what we're studying on tonight. Uh, it's an awesome Bible study, and I want to encourage you, consider, consider the virtuous wife in your own life. But for the sake of studying upon what Christian virtue is practically manifested, uh, we're going to just look at a couple verses together. Firstly, the value of virtue. It says in verse 10, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? Now I understand that this verse has been quoted, referred to, and cited in many love letters and notes and emails to their wives or fiancés or girlfriends. And for the sake of our Bible study tonight, I want to suggest the value that God sees upon his bride the value that he sees a bride that's worth or uh, desiring to be virtuous. What a blessing it is to him. Because what, it's, what he sees is a bride who's willing to say, no, not my will be done, but yours, as Jesus said. Um, just real practically, just a little exhortation. Love for one another stirs the husband and, and wife to dwell with one another with patience and understanding. Over the course of time, love is proved for one another and trust and safety in the relationship develops. Now, we have this same sort of relationship with God as we live a life filled with virtue. In this case, choosing to do good and not evil, as it says in verse 11. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And in the same way, as the bride of Christ, we do desire to do what is good and not evil. And as time tests us, as it always does for all of us, God will see that our love for him and our faith in him is true. And as that time proves our love and our faith in him, our value that he sees in us grows exponentially. And I want to encourage you, learn to love God the way that the virtuous woman loved her wife. Because in verses 13 all the way through 27, it talks about all the things that she did for her family. Where I'm not, I don't want to uh, spend a lot of time reading through everything that she did, though I, th I think it would be good for us to, to look at. Um, it's important that we rise to the, the responsibility we have as Christians, to rise to the responsibility we have in Christ Jesus, to be a witness, to be growing in him. The virtue we develop through a right relationship with God as we desire to grow uh, to that responsibility that we have in Christ, we will develop a life that's diligent, that desires to work, that desires to serve, and desires to give to those around us. And that's what you'll read. Just basically, that's in, a, in a, just a couple of words, that's what you'll see in the virtuous wife's life. That she was diligent. 
that she was responsible with what she had, that she was generous, and that she desired to serve. Now, finally, the last thing I want to highlight before we close is that of the reward the virtuous woman had at the end of her life. In verse 28 through 31, the virtuous wife is described to excel, be blessed, and praise. So let's read it. 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. The wife who exercised virtue in those days would build a good reputation for her kids, her family, and her husband. The benefit of having a good reputation in those days was that there would be a peace surrounding the family and the family name. As peace surrounded the family and the rest of the city, the rest of the city would know about the good things the wife was dedicated to, and this sort of reputation would lead to blessing. And again, just a, a personal testimony to the fact not that I'm trying to puff myself up or my wife up, if she ever listens to this, but as we have desired to just serve God's people, he has protected us from so many things via or by having a good reputation. There have been a lot of things that are just a couple things that have gone against us in the, in the sense of people didn't approve of, of us or what we were doing. And God protected us through that. And I want to encourage you also, as you grow in your relationship with God, you need to trust Him. Just trust Him. I don't know where I'm going with that point. But you just got to trust Him. It's good what happens. The Christian who lives a virtuous life unto God will lead to a couple of blessings. Just a couple. I just want to share on a couple. In the Great Commission, Jesus commissioned every Christian to go and make disciples. If you're answering that call today, you will have the opportunity and the blessing to disciple God's children and God's people. Now, if you live with virtue, the fact of good discipleship and good report will go before you. And on the flip side, if you disciple people in a wrong kind of sense, that also will precede you. And uh, worry and strife will, will uh, surround your life. I'm almost done. The second thing that I want to highlight as far as rewards go is that what the New Testament promises us as Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 25, we're promised the imperishable crown. The imperishable, blah, blah, blah. the imperishable crown. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, and they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Now, this promise that Paul was, was stating to the Corinthian church was that of our motivation to run the good race, to fight the good fight. Not that we would allow ourselves to, to fall short of what God expects of us, but that we would walk in virtue, we would run the race, and then when we end our life and we go to be home with Jesus, we have a crown, and it's the imperishable crown that comes from living a life temperate in all things. The next is the crown of rejoicing found in 1 Thessalonians, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. 
And Paul was writing to the First Thessalonian church, giving, desiring to give them hope for what was going on in those days. Remember, they were suffering. They were being persecuted. And there was a lot of questioning going on of like, well, my brother or sister died. Did they miss the rapture? Is Jesus coming? Really? Is that going to happen? And Paul's desiring to give them hope, and he tells them that there is a promise of a crown of rejoicing when Jesus comes. And if you read through that whole epistle, there is hope. There is a, a resurrection that God promises to his saints for those who fall and go to sleep, which is to die. And even that, in our day and age, uh, in America, we don't really see the, the persecution of the church so much, but it is starting to happen. Throughout the world, it is happening. Um, I haven't done a whole lot of research, but I do have a personal testimony. I have a relationship with a pastor down in Peru. Uh, he's hosting a CBI down there. And when the, when the pandemic first started down in Peru, was back in March, and they were so strict that anybody walking outside of the house, not <laughs> um, walking outside of their house, not permitted, because each person, each family would have a window two to three times a week, an hour or two at most, to go and get their groceries. If they're found by the military outside their quarantine, they would be arrested and taken to an undisclosed area. And so, desiring to protect his family, the pastor, Pastor Corey, didn't allow his family out of the front door of their house for three months. And that was just, that was just in Peru. That's not even in the Middle East where actual Christian persecution is happening. There's a crown of rejoicing to those who hold fast. There's a crown of rejoicing to those who are waiting patiently for the presence of the Lord. And now more than ever, we can relate to that because we're aware of it. Uh, the third one is the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And I believe that appearing is really just your relationship with God. God has manifested himself to you in one way or another through his son, Jesus Christ. He has preached the gospel to you. You're here, obviously, to, he to continue in that walk with God. And Paul promises you here that there's a crown of righteousness promised to you. And then finally, the crown, uh, second to last, the fourth one, the crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, the chief shepherd appears, uh, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Again, an awesome promise. And uh, just to wrap it up, the crown of life found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Just simple words for the Christian who's suffering, the persecuted church. Now the question may be asked, why would I want a crown in heaven? As a reward for living a life of virtue unto God. This is answered in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. Revelation chapter, four, chapter four, verse 9 says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before their, the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, 
and by your will they exist and were created. Now, that whole scene in, in Revelation chapter 4 is the throne room of God. And there's something happening there. And it's worship. Worship is happening. Zach and Kelly, you guys nailed it tonight with hymn night. There is just something glorious about being able to come to, together with you guys and sing praise unto God. What a blessing it is. How much more in this hot room of the foyer of our church building, how much better will it be in heaven when we're not thinking about how hot it is, when we're not thinking about how we've fallen short of God, but rather we'll be looking upon Jesus and going, my life was for you. What you've given me, what you've rewarded me with, that was all for you. My life of virtue, my life of being temperate in all things, my life of desiring what is good and right for my life was all for you. Having something to lay at the feet of Jesus, that's what it's all about. In conclusion, understanding biblical Christian virtue is important. It begins with a desire for what is right as it pertains to God. And this ability to know him and to live unto him is impossible without the strength and righteousness of Christ in and through us. When we have Christ living in and through us, virtue develops through obedience to God. This obedience is manifest through the way we live our lives. We must be willing to let God direct our steps daily until we go home to be with the Lord. We must be pure, sober-minded, diligent, generous, wise, and loving. As we seek to, seek to live these ways, we will be valued by God and rewarded when we make it to heaven. There in heaven, we will be able to worship God and spend eternity with him in awesome joy and peace, which is what he created us for. And I'm looking forward to that day and seeing you all there, having crowns to give to him, saying, my life that I live for you was for you. It's going to be great. Um, just closing in prayer, I, I pray that uh, you were encouraged in some way, shape, or form about your relationship with God as it pertains to virtue. And um, I, you know, if there's anything, I just hope that uh, you desire to live purely and undefiled unto the Lord. And uh, let's just pray. Thank you, God, so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your peace, your kindness, your patience, your patience towards us, God, because we do fall short. Lord, we are not virtuous. We are struggling, Lord, in this day and age to seek your face daily. We fall short, Lord, when temptation arises and we give in to it, God. We ask for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that you would grow us closer and closer to you. We pray, God, that you would give us an earnest desire to do that which is right before your eyes. We pray for your strength from your son, Jesus, who made all of this possible. Apart from him, Lord, we are weak and we are unable. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would work in us the good things that you have for us, that we may walk in according to your will until we get to go home to be with you and spend eternity, God. That's our hope and that's our, our desire. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the remainder of the evening and, and thank you so much for this place, God, where we can worship you freely and, divide, and look at your word and, and desire to, to spur each other on to love and to good works. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Heart in the